Welcome to the Olmsted Salon podcast. My name is Dusty Brown and I'm the host of the Olmsted Salon, where the arts and culture outreach of Calvary St. George's Church in New York City. Today on the show, I have our Reverend, the Reverend Jacob Smith, who's our priest in charge here at Calvary St. George's and the reason all this stuff even exists. Uh, what I'm gonna talk to him today uh, is about this notion of the theater of Holy Week. Here's the Reverend Jacob Smith. Um, well, welcome, Jacob Smith, to the Olmsted Salon podcast. I'm back. You're back. You're back and ready for uh, vengeance. So, Jake, um, we're approaching Holy Week, and uh, my experience of Holy Week when I was growing up is profoundly different than it is here at this church, and especially under your leadership. Um, and you have been, you have kind of introduced me to the, to the, not only the liturgy, but the um, kind of the roles that we play during uh, the High Holy Days and, and Easter. And, and what I wanted to talk about today is this kind of idea of Holy Week as theater, in a way, like the theater of Holy Week. We do all these rituals, we play these parts, we reenact certain um, things that we find throughout the liturgy and throughout the Bible. So can you take us through that a little bit? And, and what, what does it all mean, first of all? And what's the, what's the process starting at, when does it start, Ash Wednesday? Uh, well, actually, so when you get at it, you get at this idea, the liturgy, which is what we do every Sunday. And the truth is, is every church has a form of liturgy, but ours is connected to what would be called the Catholic faith, the little C faith, which, which is all what, what's always been. Um, and liturgy means work of the people, essentially. And uh, within a lot of like American Christian circles today, people talk about inviting God into their life and inviting Jesus into their life as if that's profound. Like a personal relationship yeah, well, that you know, you're that's, navigating. Yeah, well, everybody has a personal relationship with God. Uh, the question is, is it, in, is it in his wrath or is it in his <laughs> right. mercy? But uh, the, um, the idea of the liturgy is to remind us that God has profoundly invited us into his life and into his story and uh, his drama. And mm. so therefore, as Christians, you know, our story is the story of the church. Our story is the story of the people of God, which actually stretches all the way back to the book of Genesis. And so the liturgy uh, becomes these, uh, if you will, uh, stones in our life by which we look back to those moments wherein God has acted and God has saved us. So when we think of the liturgy, um, you know, Lent, that's, what does Lent mean? So Lent is a season in the church year. There are a number of seasons in the church year. Um, it begins with what's called Advent, which comes from the Latin word Adventus which is where we look at Jesus' first coming into the world, and then we, um, with expectation, look forward to his second. And then that's followed by Christmas, which doesn't begin in November. What's it called, Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> Christmas is uh, the 12 days beginning on the 25th of December, Okay. Um, um, by which uh, we uh, look at the birth of Jesus, his coming into the world. And actually, you know, I don't know if you've seen, but the phrase happy holidays, some uh, fundamentalist Christians are all up in arms about not saying Merry Christmas. But happy holidays actually comes from Christians as well. And that's because in those 12 days of Christmas, every day is a specific feast day. 
and festival. And so instead of saying, you know, happy St. Stephen's Day or happy, you say happy you know, holidays. Boxing Day, so you, say, it works. you would say happy holidays. And so that actually Christians coined that as well. And then, um, and then it goes into what's called epiphany, which is where we remember that God has come into the whole world, come in and revealed himself to the whole world. And then uh, we look at Lent, and Lent comes from an old English word which means to lengthen, and this is because we're coming out of, in, of winter and going into spring, and the days are getting longer. And Lent is a, is a Christian uh, uh, season, which is specifically 40 days long, and it begins on Ash hmm. Wednesday and goes to Easter, and by which we remember um, uh, 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 Jesus is uh, wandering in the wilderness and fasting for 40 days, but also Israel's 40 years in the wilderness, Noah's 40 uh, days at sea, um, Elijah goes into the wilderness for 40 days. 40 is a significant number in Christianity, which symbolizes kind of formation. And so um, so Lent is a time by which uh, we we remember the fact it's not kind of Christian rehab before Easter, but Lent exposes us to the fact through fasting and prayer uh, that to the idea that we are creatures and that we um, are not perfect and that we need more than just help, but we need a savior. And, and it, hence this moves us to the next season, right. which is Easter, where right. we celebrate the resurrection and the idea that that which is perishable, our mortal bodies, will rise from the dead as imperishable. So let's start with, with Lent. So in Lent, um, you know, right around the beginning is this thing called Ash Wednesday, mm -hmm. where we take the palms from the previous year's Palm Sunday, burn them, and wipe them on our heads. And this is, this is where it's starting to get into this like kind of theatrical thing to me. It doesn't feel as theatrical sometimes at Christmas when I'm singing like Jingle Bells. But all of a sudden when I, when I approach Lent, I'm like, man, we are playing parts. We're going through, we're, we're reenacting scenes. We're doing all kinds of stuff. And it seems to start with Ash Wednesday. So what's this, what, what are we doing when, when, we, when we begin this whole sort of theatrical parade on Ash Wednesday? What are we beginning there and what are we moving towards? Uh, hold on really quick. Are we talking about Ash Wednesday or Palm Sunday? Right now we're talking about Ash Wednesday okay. moving toward, because Ash Wednesday is in, in some ways is related to Palm Sunday in my mind, yeah, because sure. you're taking the palms from, from Ash Wednesday. So, well, first of all, two things. We'll never sing Jingle Bells at church, but I'm um, just kidding. <laughs> sing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Went Reindeer. Yeah, that's my favorite one. Um, but uh, Palm Sunday, yeah, Palm Sunday is a very powerful day. Oops. That's all right. Ash yeah. Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is a very powerful day because Ash Wednesday is... And we could just go through it quickly, too, because yeah. we'll get right to Palm yeah. Sunday. Ash Wednesday is basically uh, would be considered a liturgical microaggression. It is, um, <laughs> it's a very offensive day. And uh, this is uh, the day where we remember that you're going to die and uh, that you are not going to live forever. You're not basically good and uh, that you are going to perish and die. And so there's two major days in the Christian's life. There's the day that they were born, um, the day that they were baptized or born again, and then there's the day you die. And what Ash Wednesday does is, is it brings the day you were baptized and the day you die together and uh, reminds you that while you will perish, 
that sign of the cross, we don't just put a dot on your head, we make the sign of the cross on your head, which says while you will perish, you will be raised again. Again, and there's that notion of sort of, like you said, stepping into God's story, but you, the, our very first role in stepping into God's story is to, to identify ourselves as people who are going to die. That's right. That's our very first move <clears throat> as players in God's story. And that's real Christianity right there. Real Christianity is not about finding your purpose or your best life now or any of this other nonsense that you see scatter the bookshelves of Barnes & Noble. Christianity is about preparing to die well. And, uh, and uh, Christianity really acutely, when it's at its best and is uh, distilled to its very essence, is about answering this question of death okay. and what happens when you die. So we have this ash on our foreheads and we're moving towards the next kind of act um, of this of God's story, or, or at least of this part of God's story, which is Palm Sunday. Is that right? Yeah, Palm Sunday. And so between Ash Wednesday and Palm Sunday, there's 40 mm -hmm. days? or there's... Uh, No, there's, um, I don't know how many days exactly, but there's like like 35. Okay, so, so now if we started off at this point of kind of identifying who we are as we as we enter God's story what's what's the next what's that next act about as far as Palm Sunday goes so the next um, the next the next act would be um, Palm Sunday and uh, we'll actually back up the next act would be the uh, next five Sundays oh okay, which would good. be uh, uh, the five Sundays of Lent and the colors there's specific colors which are purple which symbolize royalty on one level because we're reflecting upon the idea that we have a king mm -hmm. but uh, this king is not one like we would think normal in a worldly sense of demonstrating himself with strength and wisdom but this king comes to us in weakness and he comes to us in what St. Paul would call foolishness because he suffers and dies and so the Sundays there in Lent usually revolve around Jesus's interaction with a person where he talks about um, uh, the kingdom of God and uh, he talks about um, uh, suffering and death and how he's come to save us and uh, this moves us then to uh, the next big day would be which is coming up would be Palm Sunday okay so you have five Sundays mm -hmm. between Ash Wednesday and Palm Sunday so yeah. now we're at Palm Sunday yeah, and, the and what colors, does that tell us about God what does that tell us about us well the colors change from purple to red uh, and red symbolizes blood and it symbolizes passion because this is what has been known and this is when you want to talk about drama um, this is what is known as the beginning of passion week uh, what our Lord's passion what is he passionate about well he's passionate about saving sinners uh, he's passionate about finding the lost He's not interested in the healthy. He's not interested in the basically good. What we see is that he's passionate about broken people. And so the colors change from purple to red. And it begins with uh, Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is the day we remember. So Jesus's ministry took place primarily in this place called Galilee, mm -hmm. out in the country. And uh, But then there's a part in the Gospels, especially in Luke's Gospel, where it says, Luke specifically writes, he sets his face towards Jerusalem. 
And so he begins to make his way to Jerusalem. And Palm Sunday is when he did all of these miracles around. And so people are like, oh my God, this guy really is the Messiah. And, but the Messiah from a worldly perspective, he's strong. He's going to come in and he's going to kick the crap out of Rome. And he's <laughs> going to reestablish Israel. And he's going to make us all winners. Because this is what we all think real glory is like. We think it's all about being winners right. and being successful. And hence we can now partner with God in the renewal of all things, which is actually a load of nonsense. And so he actually, um, uh, Palm Sunday is the day we remember that he rides in, and this is what we all want. And we shout Hosanna to the King of Kings because we all want a winner in God. That's what we want, and we want God to make us winners. And actually, that same day, so we start outside and we process in with palms, yelling Hosanna. And this is why you burn the palms yeah. the day before Ash Wednesday, because all of your ideas, a.k.a., the year are, before go- palms, yeah, right. are going up in smoke. So That's all, so you waving your palm at, at Palm Sunday from the year before, that you're kind of playing this part of like, enter, like yes, we support the Messiah, but then really... Our idea of a winner. Yeah, yeah right, This is right. what winning is. Right. And then that all, the reason why we save them and then burn them is because your idea you're like, of you're winning, yeah. your idea of renewal, your idea of good is all going to go up in smoke. Yeah, wow. Uh, and because everything is going to change. And it also reminds us how fickle we are. Mm. Because then you go in, and it goes from this triumphant reading, his triumphal entry, yay, Jesus, you're so awesome, to that same day, the congregation stands, and we read from what's called one of the passion narratives. That's Jesus' crucifixion that Sunday. And, um, um, and the crowd, the congregation, we all yell together, crucify him. So this is amazing. So we start off, and again, it's like us playing these parts during these mm-hmm. special days. We, we play these, the, uh, this sort of glory theologian in us all who's like, yes, we have done this amazing thing for yeah. God by... And look, he's going to make us all winners. Yeah, right. And then um, towards... Our best the, life now. Towards the end of the service, you see the reality, w- which we also act out, which is us being like, yeah, crucify him. Crucify him, um, yeah. And then, uh, so that's Palm Sunday. That's Palm Sunday. And then our next day would be Maundy Thursday, right? Maundy Thursday, yeah, that's the next big day. The next um, big in day. In the early church, there were day, there was there were uh, there were special services every day of that week. In between uh, Palm Sunday and Maundy Thursday. Yeah, like every day of Holy. What would week. those be about? Uh, usually, you know, like maybe on. Um, uh, Tuesday, you would read from the book of Lamentations that's um, written by the prophet Jeremiah about the destruction of Jerusalem and, and things like that. There would be a variety. It would vary from place to place. But the ones that everybody celebrates begins on Thursday. I see. And uh, this is three services, Maundy Thursday, then Good Friday, and then the Easter Vigil. And it's called the Trigium. Huh. And, uh, and these are the three most... Basically, this is the most holy service of the entire Christian year. And it's one giant service, but it's kind of divided, if you, you mean will, into three acts. Between those three nights is considered one, one service. service. Mm-hmm. Okay. But each service, kind of if you want to maintain with our theme of drama, functions as an act uh, interesting. in the play. So, and so Maundy Thursday yeah. um, uh, begins, and uh, the Mondi, people often ask, where does Mondi come from? It comes from the Latin word mandatu, which means command. And this is where Jesus um, institutes his command. So he's up in an upper room celebrating the Passover. So there's all these here now connections with Christianity and Judaism. 
and uh, he celebrates what's called the Passover. But this time, instead of taking the Passover supper, if anybody's ever been to a Seder, it always harkens back to the Exodus. Jesus takes all of these symbols and points them to himself. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, basically, he makes this. He's making the point that what you see in the book of Exodus are types and shadows of me and what I've ultimately come to do. And so he institutes this mandatu, this command, to do this meal in remembrance of me. So, um, and this kind of begins to then shape it. And so in the command, he also tells his disciples to love one another, not just as you would like to be loved, but to love one another as I have loved you meaning that love goes simply beyond just making me feel good to love going to the point of death itself as well. And where does the foot washing fit into into that? So this is very powerful. In a Passover Seder, typically you'll wash your hands. And in certain more formal Seders, sometimes even the rabbi would wash your hands. But uh, Jesus goes and he, um, he takes and he takes it to the extreme where he washes his disciples' feet. Mm. And this is a very powerful thing because if you imagine in those days, roads are dusty, roads are dirty, and, um, and uh, you're wearing sandals. And foot washing was reserved for the lowest of the low slave. And so he comes in and he begins to wash. So he's like, I'm not only your teacher, I'm not only ultimately your God, but I'm also your servant. And, uh, and this really freaks them out. Yeah. Even to the point where Peter's like, no way. And he's like, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. And then Peter responds by like, well, not just then my feet, Lord. All of me. And oftentimes in the service, that's yet another thing that we reenact. We reenact, absolutely, the foot washing. Yeah. So we have the, we have the Last Supper, which we happen to reenact every Sunday, mm-hmm. and then we do the foot washing. And Well, we do the foot washing before that, okay. and then you do the Last Supper, and then it ends with the slamming of a book. Yeah, I've never got that. So what is that about? That so, always literally makes me jump about six feet. And I love it, because mm-hmm. it's like this experience that I'm, I'm having, but... Uh, I, um, yeah, explain what that is. So the slamming of the book. Some would say that it marks the slamming of the tomb, Mm -hmm. but uh, that's a little premature. It also represents now the mark. Like this is the beginning where, as St. Paul would write in, in Corinthians, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so there's the stripping of the altar, and now which the, also happens on yeah, Monday, the Thursday. stripping of the chancel where we clear out everything, while um, a psalm is read, and uh, and then um, everybody leaves and processes out in silence uh-huh. and in total darkness. And and um, here at Calvary yeah. St. George's, what we do is then we move from St. George's, which functions as the upper room, we process in silence to Calvary, where now this becomes the place. And we actually sit for basically 12 hours. Everybody signs up for one hour. But in uh, what's called the Chapel of the Repose, Uh, for one hour and this is now we move from the upper room to the garden of gethsemane where jesus spent his last night praying and uh but here his uh best friends basically good people fell asleep on him and he said can you not stay awake with me for one hour and so uh, we move to the garden and this quickly gets us to good friday and this is literally us walking through the streets of new york from 16th street to calvary 
stopping traffic. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and, and I mean, talk about, talk about actually reenacting something or, or being a part of the story. Um, yeah. And what's very powerful about that is that most people as we're processing kind of look and say, what in the world is going on there? Yeah. Like, or they pay us no mind. And do we carry and the this cross? Is, oh, we carry a, we carry, we don't carry a big, but we have a processional cross, but yeah. we carry burial flowers. Oh, burial flowers. And so, right. um, uh, some like Roman Catholics yeah. would carry the, um, what's called a monstrance. This carries the host. Yeah. And so, but, um, the, um, but the powerful thing is, is you process through ordinary streets because it happened on an ordinary day Yeah. and, uh, and ordinary, and most people took no notice. Right. And so we, that brings us to um, Calvary, and then we, and then people keep watch um, for every, like literally, the congregants sign up for our, for the whole twenty four hours all through the night. Um, and what are we? Twelve hours, yeah. Mm-hmm. What are what are we keeping watch for? Well, the idea in Jesus with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he asks his disciples, "Can you stay awake with me for one hour?" And the answer is no. No. And so, but, um, Congress, the person who signed up. yeah, we sign up. And, uh, in that sense, you kind of are brought into that drama and brought with That's, him yeah. and we read through the Psalter and, uh, Luther said once that the Psalter were the prayers of Jesus. And so, um, we read through the Psalms, the entire Psalms, that 12 hours. So everybody wow. takes on like five Psalms oh, an hour. Okay. And so that's read throughout the entire night. Which, as you said, brings us to Good Friday. Good Friday. And so this is the crucifixion of Jesus and where he hangs on a cross and dies. This is the one day of the year where you'll have a liturgy and you shouldn't celebrate communion. Um, and uh, it's just... Uh, and why and, is that? Uh, because this is the one day where we remember, uh, basically, you're brought to the fact that you did this. Yeah. And this is the heaviest day of the year. There's not much hope in that service. There is not much hope, and it is, and it's intentional because the yeah. part of the drama is to bring you part into the story. The, that's right. And this gut wrenching idea, as Luther once said, he said, when you look at the thorns upon his brow, when you see the nails in his hand and feet, and the piercing in his side, make no mistake, you wrought this. And so this isn't something, you know, people, this isn't about the Romans. This isn't about the Jews. This is about you and me and the sins of the world. Behold your God. That's it. And this really blows everybody. When you understand what's going on, you know, we want a God of victory. We want a God of glory in worldly sense. And this God demonstrates his glory in a crucified Jew on a hill outside of Jerusalem for the sins of the world. Right. And you are brought there to know that this is your fault. So some of the things that happen in that service, which are shocking uh, to participants is you bring out a cross and then, and then you, uh, you know, whoever the celebrant is actually like pound the nail into the cross and the you know the the sound of the of the metal on metal echoes through through the whole place. I mean it's 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 chilling, um, and it's it's quite an experience. Uh, and then after that, um, uh, you know what we've done is we you, we ring the bell, right? Yeah, we chime a bell thirty two times for the years of Jesus's life. And and it's just dead silent, and the lights go off. Yeah, and everything goes out. So it's like dark. And no lights and dong, dong, 33 times dead silence. And you get to, and in that sense, you can't help in that time. You can't help but reflect on, uh, on, on the brokenness and on the, um, 
like you said, what, what you have wrought in mm-hmm. a way. And, but then that brings us... This is, this is actually, though, too, really encouraging. Um, you know, because... What's most, really Well, most people in this world are giving a false hope that they will escape suffering mm. um, when times are bad. So we you enter know, into suffering. Actually, the real Christian story is that we enter into suffering yeah. and uh, that God enters into suffering. Uh, there's a great German theologian named Jürgen Moltmann, and uh, he, he, he does this amazing uh, 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 like religious, kind of interreligious comparison, and he talks about like Christianity and Islam, and he's very powerful in this comparison. But there, in Islam, there are 99 names for God. Not one of them is love. Uh, but in Christianity, this is the descriptor of God, that God is love. And he says, but how do we know this? How do we know that God is love? Well, because God suffers. Mm. And suffering, you suffer for that which you love. And so that um, God does not escape suffering either. And that sometimes in the midst of your suffering, as Jesus cried from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, God doesn't give him an answer back. And uh, sometimes in life, we're not given... 99.9% of the time, you're not given an answer either. You're simply, and Good Friday becomes this liturgical piece by which we can enter into that question, not get an answer, but see where it comes out of. So in that time, so that Good Friday, that's almost an experience for us to really contemplate uh, God's love from a, a a, a real place. I mean, a, a an real, earthy place yeah, where right, the rubber exactly. hits the road in your life. Maybe you have a kid who's dying of cancer. Yeah. You know, maybe you have a mother who's dying of cancer. Maybe you've lost a relationship. Um, you know, uh, whatever it is, there is like, you know, a real place. And this is where actually God meets you. And so in some ways it's almost like, uh, it's, it's really represented, I mean, if it's the darkest time of the entire year in my experience, is that Good Friday. And Easter is the, is the brightest and the hap, not happiest, but I guess happiest. Joyful is Joyful, a time of the year. And those things are t- like just right back to back. Mm-hmm. So you come out of Good Friday and into Easter, which mm-hmm. is obviously the resurrection. Mm-hmm. But tell us about like the kind of drama and the theater and, and what our part is in the Easter story, as far as that Sunday service is, con- yeah. is concerned. Well, the point, so, um, so you leave Good Friday and it's dark and, uh, you know, see you later. It's kind of the idea yeah. is lights out Hurricane Katrina, right. you know, um, um, Jersey Shore after Hurricane Sandy. Yeah. And uh, that's what we're going for. And, uh, and then there is a small service called Holy Saturday, oh, okay. which takes you into the tomb and uh, there's no, there's just a prayer and a reading from Job, and uh, so between um, Good Friday and, and Easter, Easter Sunday, you go into Saturday. the tomb, and uh, there's where you sit. And really, that's a powerful story because that's where most of us live, in the tomb. You know what I mean? Yeah. We brought to the cross, but we haven't had our Easter Sunday mm-hmm. existentially, and so, um, and so, but this brings us to the glorious day of Easter, and. Uh, um, at Calvary St. George's, we do the Easter Vigil at Calvary Church, and this is you're brought to the first light of the tomb, and it takes place on Saturday night with the church completely dark, and we have a number of readings uh, through the Old Testament or the Jewish scriptures, which Christians have historically believed pointed to the prophecy of Jesus and who he was, 
and how God has enacted gracefully because we're reminded that we too are the people of God. So the story of the Old Testament is our story as well. So you're brought in to see how these stories all point to Jesus. And it begins with fire and a small little light. And um, baptisms are that day, which by which we're reminded that we're buried with Jesus and then we'll be raised with him. And then there's a moment when that entire dark church every light is turned on and every bell in the place rings to symbolize and this like is the, like in the middle of the night kind yeah of, the right? inbreaking of god and history like boom like yeah. the um the kingdom of god like in the midst is already here yet not yet and so this is a very powerful thing and you're, you're reminded that while you may be at your tomb in life sunday is a coming yeah. And uh, you too, because of Jesus, will be resurrected from the dead. And that's really what we celebrate on Easter. It's not a metaphor for spring, uh, you know, uh, not, um, not a great, wonderful story of love and illustrate. But we, st- we celebrate the fact that we really believe that one man made the claim that he was God and died dead. And then on the third day, he rose again. And the evidence is compelling that he rose from the dead. Um, it is really compelling um, and, uh, and very powerful. And that if that is true, what Easter Sunday reminds us then as we go through, that this is something each of us have to deal with. Mm. And, um, and it's really good news because it answers that question of death. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people, most people go to funerals of 88-year-old people or 90-year-old people, and they're like, oh, I lived a great life. But you want to really feel the sting of death. Uh, go to a 22-year-old man's funeral. Yeah. You know, with their whole life in front of them. Go to the funeral of a, uh, as, as I'm dealing with, uh, a 40-year-old man who has bladder cancer and little children. Uh, that is where you really realize death is your enemy. Uh, there is a real sting to it. And uh, Easter reminds us that we can die well because we will be raised from the dead and death has been swallowed up and is no more. Well, I think that's a, a perfect place to wrap up, Jake. Um, uh, I thank you so much for just talking to us about this this notion of um, sort of the theater uh, of... of of Holy Week, I, I always think of theater as something that um, you know that we that we put on so that we can see ourselves in the realities of life, you know, as they're portrayed. And I think that the ultimate version of that is kind of what we're doing at Calvary St. George's, um, you know, with Holy Week. Uh, I had never experienced this stuff growing up. Uh, I, you know, I we just didn't. I didn't even know what Mo- I thought it was Monday, M O N D A Y. Thursday, and I was like, somebody's got to explain this to me because I don't get why it's called Monday Thursday. Um, so it's cool to be in, in a, it's cool to be in a church in a congregation, and specifically with you, um, because you care so deeply about the story and about finding our congregants, helping our congregants to find themselves in the story by really highlighting uh, this liturgy and and the traditions of the of the church. So Jake, thanks so much for being with us. Great. And we'll see you there. Yeah, we'll see you soon. Well, you're listening to Alex Wynn and the Jazz Conceptions Orchestra. This is their song Gemini. 
And Alex is the curator of Jazz in the Cave, which is the second Friday of every month at the Olmsted Salon. Thanks, Alex, for uh, lending us uh, one of your songs, as always. And special thanks to the Reverend Jacob Smith, my good friend, uh, for taking us through the theater of Holy Week. And thank you for listening. We hope that you'll stay tuned uh, and be sure to tune into our next show. Thanks so much.